Welcome to Sunburnt Country Music, interviews with Australian country music artists. My name is Sophie and I have been interviewing Australian country music artists for over a decade and I still love it. I love their stories, I love their insights and I love their music. So I hope you enjoy hearing from them on this podcast. Matt Jogal was born in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and now lives in Melbourne. He has released four solo albums over the past few years, and he also works with other artists as a writer and producer. His latest album is the exceptionally good Between Tonight and Tomorrow, which has had me in the sort of fever dream where I have to pull myself away from the album to do other things. So I'm going to ask Matt all about it. Hello, Mm. Matt. Hi. Well, that's wonderful to hear. Yeah, I appreciate that. It really, yeah, it's, you know how some albums just get a grip on you as a listener and you just, they're sort of in your dreams, in your waking life. That's this album for me. It has been lately. I have forced myself to listen to other things, but I keep going back to it. So I'm actually going to dive right into talking about the album, which you started recording in early 2020. Given how long you've had to wait to complete and release it, were you impatient or did the timing end up feeling right? Wow. Uh, Both. I definitely were moments of of impatience and frustration that a lot of us felt through that time. Uh, but now reflecting on it and and the album hadn't been out for a few weeks and the response it got, uh, I guess I wouldn't change that because it's it's really resonated with people. Uh, so I felt that we, we perhaps got the timing right, and I'm glad it's out there now. So when you have listeners starting to respond to it and, you know, these days they can contact you on social media, it's not just coming up to you at shows. It must must feel incredibly gratifying and also this slightly odd sensation of, well, my songs are out in the world now and people are having this relationship with them. Mm. Yeah, it's an amazing feeling and I'm always honoured, no matter if it's just a message on Instagram through to, as you mentioned, someone coming up at a show I had a gentleman uh, come up after a show and he mentioned that it was the first time he'd felt joy since his father had passed a couple months back. And if you can connect with people like that, then you're definitely doing your job. So yeah. when people are connecting with the music, for me, it's it's that's the that's the greatest reward. So yeah, it's been it's been magnificent. Mm. Um, the whole album to me feels like more than sounds like it was drawn from a deep well, if that makes sense. So sonically there's a lot going on, lots of layers, but also just the feeling of it, listening to all the songs taken together, it feels like it was drawn from this deep, deep well. There's just so much in it emotionally. There are layers of stories as well as sound and lots of human experiences. I'm wondering what was in the well when you started writing it. Well, and again, you've obviously really listened which I always appreciate um the album I'd like to think is lyrically diverse we tried to approach it with a series of themes and concepts that were reflective of where I was as a as a songwriter or general as a human because I've been in the industry now releasing records since 2009 this is my fourth album so I felt that I should take advantage of whatever wisdom and whatever I've suffered along the road. And I think perhaps the fan base that I've been fortunate enough to accrue has allowed me the confidence to go to some of these places uh, and feel comfortable to be honest uh, and authentic, talking about things like uh, death and 
spiritual rebirth and loss, uh, as well as celebratory themes. You know, this mm-hmm. first single was Go Ahead, Celebrate. So I tried to encompass a lot of the different emotions that I've experienced or people might experience throughout their journey. And in doing that, you, sonically, I uh, we tried to produce an album that was really unvarnished. So mm-hmm. again, because I've, this is the third album of mine I've produced and I've produced others. So I felt confident that we had the players and the song arrangement, the song structure, that we could strip it all back and it would be the bare bones and the song. And that sounds easy enough, but if you don't have the right ingredients, that can expose a lot of, you know, <laughs> maybe your players aren't good enough or maybe your songs aren't good enough. So I felt confident at this point in my career that we had the batch of songs to do that. So then we had the wonderful marriage of the sonic aesthetic really capturing the themes that were running, the honesty. And uh, so then you end up with hopefully a really um, uh, direct way of delivering an album where the veil is off and people can just see exactly what's going on. Hopefully it sounds like it's just a band in a room in front of you on some of the songs, you know. I think because um, the way you sing it and your voice does sound different on this album than the first three albums, I noticed. Oh, yeah. I was listening to them and I was thinking, well, and the tone is different as well. The, t- the content of those albums, is, I mean, obviously you've moved along in life, so that's a logical thing to happen. But, yeah, I was thinking, gosh, yes, your voice is different and mm-hmm. I, I think it, it is more immediate to the listener, which sounds like it was conscious. That, that yeah, As you were saying, you were hoping it sounds like it's a band in the corner. Well, there's a, it, yeah, it's really interesting you say that. So you can look at it in a couple of ways from a technical standpoint. We basically re- removed all the reverb, like it's a really dry album. Mm-hmm. So for people, reverb's an effect that, you know, it's, it captures the sound of it bouncing off walls and people usually use it to sweeten or soften their voice. But so we made a really conscious effort to, to make a really dry record. First of all, that'll affect your vocal um level wise I brought my vocal up a lot on this album because again it's a very direct album it's a very I'm at the front of this record myself and my guitar and my harmonica at the front of this record which is you know I'm on the cover of this record which I haven't really done on the four albums so it was a really direct record it's really personal there's a lot of really personal experiences on the album and so again we just tried to match that with the with the sonic aesthetic and Vocally, you might listen to Break, Rattle and Roll. And I've actually buried my voice in some of those songs because mm. that style like opens with Bridge Over Concrete and the, uh, on Break, Rattle and Roll. And there are just, it's a cacophony of sound. There's all these guitars and everything. And that was just a different approach. We sort of wanted to throw everything at the wall and see what would stick. And you can choose what you might want to listen to. But on this album, it's like, you're listening to me. Mm-hmm. I'm taking on this journey. These are my songs. These are my words. So it's, we wanted to paint a different picture. And so, yeah, you've obviously picked up on that, which is which is great. It's interesting what you said earlier about um, being four albums in that you know there's this audience there now for you, this following, and you, that you felt like you could therefore be a little more open about what was going on. I'm wondering, therefore, when you were recording, were you conscious of someone being on the other side of that song, conscious of an audience? Like mm-hmm. not in a bad way, but in the sense that you were connecting to people as you were singing. Yeah, it's a, that's a good question. It's um, I think on, on your first record, you have this time to write your first record and you end up writing by default quite often a very personal album. 
mm-hmm. uh, because you don't know, personally as a songwriter didn't know how to do anything else mm-hmm. so my first album is quite personal however that was produced by someone else produced by Nash Chambers so I learned a lot in that time about myself as a songwriter and watched him as a producer uh then moving forward to seven years and break rail and roll I sort of developed that ability where you can write in a third person and so because otherwise you run out of ideas and in a lot of ways unless your life is uh insufferable and you're just going through heartbreak after heartbreak but so for me coming back to this album I guess the combination of events I'd, I'd gone through some some you know fairly drastic things in the last few years and we all suffered through the pandemic and uh I felt there was definitely a comfort in myself as a musician, uh, but also uh, I just wanted to go back to that place, I think, on the first record where I could be really personal again. I, I felt it was time. Uh, and so when the songs were coming together, it just, it was it was really natural. I don't think it was overly conscious that I felt like these will really get people. But I did start to notice when I was sending the, the files, the songs through to my band, they were like, well, these these are really good. And there were a couple that were really personal and I sent them in the batch and they'd say, this is great. And I'd go, oh, do we have to play that one? And <laughs> there are actually songs I don't play live on right. the record. You know, there's a couple I don't really play live. Uh, there's one that I wrote for for an ex of mine that I've I've reclaimed that song so yeah there's a lot of really personal uh songs on the record and I guess it's just it's speaking from a really honest place and and I think that's hopefully what people are really connecting with yeah and the title track has an interesting function because uh, I can see why you chose it as, as, as that the title of your album actually because the whole concept of between tonight and tomorrow in the song in the way you've written it it's it's metaphorical and literal it's like in this in this time actual time minutes hours between tonight and tomorrow these things may happen but also that existential idea of today tomorrow what's there and then so I guess all the other songs kind of come into that it's like between today and tomorrow all these other experiences may happen but was that a conscious structure for the album that you had that song and thought right this is like the flagship song the whole album yeah, I find often you do write a flagship song and it can and a lot of stuff can hang off it. It's interesting also that you mentioned like <laughs> it is the title track for the record, but it is sort of a back tempo introspective song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we release it as a single as well, that's not often a common style single to release. But there was sort of there's a sort of meditative rhythmic flow mm-hmm. It's kind of I really liked that groove. And I knew we had something special. And I knew it was, again, very me because I, I like it played with my fingers on this. And, and, and the way I play acoustic is, is how it was written, that rhythm part. That's very me, unorthodox way of playing guitar. So the song was right from its very inception, really personal and I'd like to think unique to me. So then when it came to the lyrics, I tried to... Um, keep that sense of space as you notice there's not a lot of lyrics in the song sort of mm-hmm. like one line can't say the phone and out if I don't answer maybe it was you and then there's the space where you have a chance to go oh yeah times I go out at night if I don't know where I'm going maybe I'd find you so you can go oh and you just I, I like that when you give a listener a chance to sort mm-hmm. of 
let things sink in and resonate. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, there's sort of a metaphorical element to the lyrics in the chorus, but also a very literal, like whether it's anxiety or depression, whatever pain that often comes in those hours. Mm -hmm. And you have to hold on through that 1am, 2am, you know, when it's that's for me personally, you know, I've gone through that a lot at that time. There's no incoming stimulation. There's no one to take your mind off at the phone. And so that, so that for me is trying to hold on through those moments, whatever, whatever it is that comes to haunt you at that time. And so I'd like to think there's, there's, an element of hope to the song, mm. even all that bittersweet. And I think that's what is them thematically running across the record. Like there's yeah. hope in the record, but obviously there's like, there's that weight as well. Yeah, because I think part of what's in that song is this idea that anything's possible between tonight and tomorrow. So it's not just what darkness may come and literal darkness because it's nighttime, referring to nighttime, but anything can happen in this time. And so, yeah, that, that again, that's, I think, it's perfect as the title track. Well, thanks. Thanks. And yeah, it was one of the times where we, you know, that guitar solo, it's one of the songs that it just came together. So there are some songs that I write pretty much the entirety, the vocals and the acoustic and the lead guitar and the drums. And there are some songs I try not to so that we can have that that variation on the record and I'll give it to my guitarist and go, what do you think here for a solo? Mm. Um, on this one, I sort of had it, it just all was in my mind and just went for the solo it was like, and I was, must've driven my guitarist crazy because I'm like, no, the delay, it needs to be. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> Why don't you let me do my job? <laughs> Yeah, but you know, he really executed it, it really well. Like that's, I'm like, that's it. That's exactly what I heard in my head. Yeah, right. um, it's like, no, you need to be behind the beat. Yeah. And just do. And even that tambo, like I love a good tambourine. <laughs> it comes in perfectly at those solos. I'm all about those tambourines. Very important to those people learning about arrangement and productions, what you can do with the tambourine. Yeah. Look, percussion can be underrated, you know, and it is important. It adds layers. <laughs> so was that the first song written for the album well you know what the first song written for the album technically is uh like the rains i wrote okay. that or the messenger right too dark right it was too dark so i kept it all these years and it just hadn't quite found the right time i really wanted a raw almost hurricane bob dylan approach mm -hmm. i just didn't fit in on the really sweeping sort of break, rail and roll. Uh, seven years, we we were, had just written a new batch of songs, so didn't want to include the Messenger songs on it. So it was the right time. So that song is over a decade old. Uh, then we sort of revamped it, changed it, and finally found a place on on this record. Uh, it's actually my current earworm, that song. <laughs> yes. yeah. Well, then you'll notice, okay, because you've listened to the record a lot, which, again, I'm really grateful for, occasionally on this record you talk about the vocals there was there's a couple of vocals that are quite different like in nyjj mm -hmm. i sing quite high at that chorus uh which i don't always do and i do that again at like the rains mm -hmm. and i use falsetto at the end that sort of oh, you don't need me i was like oh, i don't sing like that anymore that's too 
that's too tiring to sing like that. It's a young man's game singing like that. So, but I wrote that right over 10 years ago and I'm like, God damn, I used to sing like that, did I? So there's a couple moments like that one where, where it's interesting and I'm using vocal patterns that I perhaps used to use a while ago. Yeah. So when you write, write a song that long ago, do you keep it as an audio file or is it actually notates like you've written it in a notebook? Both, it's both. I had a song with the Weeping Willows called Too Far To Go and that was also for the same record messenger and again considered too dark uh, for the record. And they're a, they're a gothic band. So that sat around for 10 years too, uh, or nine years or something like that. Um, and they just sit on hard drives or sketches and notebooks and when the right time mm-hmm. five sometimes I'm like that's 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 the time you generally know yeah do you know how many songs you have like that sitting in a cache waiting for the- oh hundreds right yeah yeah hundreds you know if you if you consider stuff that's sort of verse chorus or you know I'm, I really yeah that like a third of a song two thirds something yeah it'd be hundreds and hundreds of ideas which is great because sometimes you are writing a song and then suddenly you go I've got just the bridge and you go (laughs) and people think you're amazing like you just wrote it on the spot but really (laughs) had it sitting in your bank in your song bank I suppose you've also got to remember that you have it there right it's it's so so there's some kind of hard drive activity happening in the brain to go right I'm going to pull that across true but you'd be surprised you generally can remember most of them (laughs) Uh, now i'm interested whether there was this one song on the album that was harder to record than the others whether emotionally or technically or combination of um yeah there are a couple on both sides uh there are a couple on both sides i think uh just this one is is one of the few it's sort of written from a really hurt place uh and i didn't particularly want to revisit that um but we felt that on a record that was just really honest Mm -hmm. it would fit in in fact that song was just a cathartic expression and i wasn't necessarily meant to be on a record but again the the band liked it uh and um so for that one i think it was like one take and a mic and i said engineer will we're only going to do this once, so you better capture it. So that's just me and a guitar and a harmonica going for it once. Um, and, uh, yeah, closing in is difficult. I haven't played that. I don't really play that live. Mm-hmm. I wrote that about my mother and her life and her imminent death at the time. Uh, although lyrically I disguised that I changed the colour of her hair and stuff because I thought that maybe that would make it easier for me to sing the song but I still haven't been able to sing it so that's a very personal one I don't really remember tracking that one okay. uh, must have been must have been quick but I think I played the drums on that one too I played the drums on a few songs on the record so, so when there is a song like that that's difficult to record obviously you have the decision to not record it you have other songs you could put on that album but I, I imagine there's a sense that for you as the creator that you feel like it belongs in the world maybe because there is someone else who will respond to it as as difficult as it is for you to put it out there well I just feel like it's somewhat selfish for me to just keep some of these songs especially now that I have uh I'd like to think a couple people that like listening to my music so 
I um yeah, I don't know if it's a really good and there's a band as well involved. They want to play the song or they want to record the song. Mm-hmm. And you realize that whatever it is you're going through, maybe someone else is going through and they can connect with that. So uh, you know, it's not it's not too much of a sacrifice for you to give it a shot, try track these songs. Um but no, I don't listen to that song personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not often. Maybe sections of it. Um, but yeah, that's. I mean, that's what happens when you make a really personal record. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like a diary, right? And sometimes yeah. you don't want to read your own diary. Absolutely. Um, now I'm going to take you back to the very start of your musical life. Yeah, sure. I believe you picked up a guitar in childhood. So yeah. what age was it, and what what prompted it? Well, it was piano first. I was um, five and my mother uh, enrolled me in piano lessons, which I didn't really enjoy that much because there was so much structure and discipline and I was forced to do scales and I was playing classical music. Um, I don't hate classical music by any means. In fact, I like it, but it just didn't resonate with me as a child because I was listening to a lot of my mother's records at the time, whether it was Bowie or Dylan, and I just couldn't relate to those songs. But it gave me a great foundation, mm-hmm. the knowledge of, of music and theory. Uh, so then at about 12, I picked up, no, at 12, I started singing. Right. At 13, I started playing guitar. And drums and a few things, sort of band instruments, and just really got into that life of being a band as a, as a young teenager and and having all those dreams where you think you can be a musician. Yeah. <laughs> so did you stick it out with piano for those seven years? I stuck it out with piano for ten years. Or oh maybe. wow! Okay. But I once I started guitar, I just didn't look back. I love playing guitar. My mother, my parents offered me lessons. I said no. I didn't want. <laughs> Uh, I didn't want to sully it, you know, it was just, it was very pure for me. So I was playing all the music on my mother's records and yeah, it was a wonderful time and, and uh, playing an instrument or producing or recording. That's, that's the the one thing that makes me feel like that age again, like a little kid. Right. It's just the exact same feeling doesn't change. Yeah. Right. That's amazing. Because because given the, uh, you know, there's, there's a stop-start nature to recording, obviously. You know, you're going to a studio, even though you might do one song in one take, most of them are going to take various little bits of fiddling. But but to be able to say that, especially with playing gigs, all the different factors that go into a live show, that it can be, you know, the weather can be bad, the crowd can be bad, all those sorts of things, for you to feel like that every single time, it's extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's... Uh... I don't take it for granted. If I'm recording and we nail a song and listening it back through the speakers or mixing a song or even tracking a song in, in its infancy and getting a really good drum sound or guitar sound or, uh, I mean, that just that's great. That just takes me straight back to being 14, 15 and my parents would go away uh, and... Uh, it would just be myself. My friends come over. We just set up microphones, right. track, right. Uh, music, and we thought it was great. And it was just, yeah, it was wonderful. Back then, just so exciting, and it's the same now. It's just 
a more elaborate studio than my living room. Yeah. So you mentioned that you started playing guitar after you started singing. So did you pick up the guitar because you were singing and you thought, I think these things go together? I picked it up because I had no control of my band, just singing over songs that someone else was writing. Right. Got it. Because I I was, I'd done a lot of poetry. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed poetry as a kid. So I was good with lyrics. And then I thought, okay, we can sing. Um, and then the band were writing songs that I wasn't really feeling. So I was, how do you do that? How do you play that chord? And so then I got a guitar and I tried to write stuff myself. Yeah. So that's you writing songs yourself, but you also write songs with other people. You talked about The Weeping Willows. Uh, recently, you worked with Josie Laver on her album, Write This Lullaby. Uh, you were writing, you were producing. And from what I understand, she initiated that collaboration just by contacting you on social media or something like that, as in message saying, I'd like to work with you. Um, so obviously collaboration is in your nature. I mean, it started with a band when you were younger. Uh, are there any collaborations that you initiate or have initiated um, that have lasted apart from with the Dead Leaves, which is your band? Well, <clears throat> um, it's it's interesting. Sometimes I, I think I'm in the studio at the moment with uh, Fleur Weiber, who is um, bringing out her debut record and she's produced some with Michael Carpenter and she's going to finish the record down here. I just did two mm. ago, was it? I think we're in the studio. Uh, and... I think she approached me at a show. Generally, like if I feel like there's potential there in the music and there's something I can offer and it's something different and if it's the right time, mm -hmm. it's something that I'm open to uh, at the moment. I think I have like three or four artists, so I don't have much time. But uh, if I have time, it's always something that I'm looking at. And my best friend, uh, Karen Fields, we have such a great relationship that we sort of felt we should explore writing together. Mm -hmm. But whose idea it was, whether it was her or me that suggested it, but it's a very natural progression. And then just to add 10 songs just like that over like a month. Um, and we just finished tracking the first batch uh, and just uh, released the tour dates today, actually. so. Mm -hmm. You know, that's yeah, we've already just been on tour for like oh, it was a couple months back. It all blurs together now. So that's <laughs> yeah, look, Karen's such a wonderful artist. And so when I saw that announcement about your project, well, first of all, I thought Matt is extremely busy. He's only just released his his own album and now he's got a new project with Karen and you're going on tour in New Zealand, um, because she is also from there. Hmm. Uh yeah, I just can't wait to hear the songs, frankly. Um, they're cool. That's, that's they're my cool. statement on the matter. <laughs> well, you know, I think you'll like them and they're, they're different. Like they are, like especially the first single is just this lovely amalgamation. Like if you were to just say, oh, Karen's over here in the folk world and Matt's here in the country world and then they sort of meet together here in this folk Americana and it's like, yep, on the first one, that's exactly, <laughs> we're like, okay, let's just do because we had a bunch of songs and some of them will test what people's perception is. They might be like, I thought you guys would sound like this. And it's like, nope. And it's like, oh, I thought you'd be like this. Nope. But on this first single, I feel like the single is hopefully just giving people what they want. Like, ah, that's nice. That's what I'd hoped you guys would do. And then we'll probably 
branch away from there. But this one particular song, we felt it was a really nice embodiment of our relationship, our love for each other, our friendship. And we just wanted to sort of get that out there to start with. That would be a nice first step. Um, because her and I have the miserable songs and spades. We've both written those. So we have we have those, but I've just felt like these nice sort of upbeat, cruisy ones is what we'll start that record with. And you're right, yeah, so super busy <laughs> with the Between Tonight and Tomorrow tour, then blending straight into mm-hmm. our together after coming off the back of her tour. But I'd like to think that um, one tour helps the other and helps the other and my music helps her music and her music helps my music. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, hopefully it um, doesn't confuse people too much. I get the sense that you're not an artist uh, or a producer or creator who compartmentalizes things and says, all right, it's this thing over here now. For you, it's a state of flow. So, so this is music. Yeah. Music just moves along and you're moving with it wherever it goes. Exactly. I don't even call myself, I try not to call myself a musician anymore. I know uh, there's a couple of people like Nick Cave doesn't do it. Like I just consider myself an artist. Mm-hmm. Whilst that sounds somewhat pretentious, I find that that's the most accurate because if you're an artist, then you want to produce or mm-hmm. you want to design or you want to. And some of the art I produce is not even for anyone, whether I draw or whether I, mm-hmm. some of the music I create, or it's, I just like to be expressive. And that started as a young age, as I mentioned with poetry but yeah you're right it's just it's a flow state uh I know when it feels right with Karen it felt right to make Mm -hmm. her um and then you know the other day making songs with Fleur was another different sound and that was a lot of fun between tonight tomorrow is is obviously uh close to my heart and it's an expression of what I've been going through and there'll be other projects where I get to do other things and some of you know great and smaller levels some of them i'm just hit you know faders and some of them i'm more involved from the ground up so it's nice to sort of test yourself in different environments whether karen comes to me with a song and i'm working that or i come mm-hmm. to her with an idea and i try to craft her voice on that song mm-hmm. it's all challenging it's all like new puzzles to try to solve I'm actually a fan of using the word artist and I often use the word art in reference to the music that's created by the people I talk to because I don't think it's used enough. And the word art actually acknowledges the amount of of craft and talent and all sorts of other elements that go into making a song and making an album because from the outside it can look like it's just a bit of components coming together, a bit of guitar, a bit of lyric, a bit of a song, but it is art because it's mysterious. You know, I think that, that art also denotes that. It's that that sense of you bringing something out of the ether to someone else. I don't know a better word for it, actually. Well, magic sounds a bit flippant, so I think art's the right <laughs> word. Yeah, it's art. It's, it's, it is a magical experience. And I think especially when you're putting together a, a record, like a body of work, an album, because that resembles the journey like a novel. Mm-hmm. A movie um so i think and i feel that uh it obviously falls into that category and and for me uh i think there's always that function to to be artistic 
that's at the core that's the goal uh mm -hmm. because especially in this genre you know there's not a lot of money in this genre it's not a lot of fame and accolades and those things are, are light on the ground in comparison to other genres so most people in this are in it for the artistic reasons mm -hmm. most people are that i that i collaborate with or i interact with they're, they're true artists i think mm -hmm. Well, there are 11 works of art on Between Tonight and Tomorrow, making up one big work of art, and it is an exceptional album, as I said at the start. So I hope anyone who's watching this goes and listens to it if they have not already. Matt Jogal, such a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Sunburnt Country Music Podcast. For more Australian country music interviews and reviews and other things, go to sunburntcountrymusic.com or to Sunburnt Country Music on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok.